The word that God speaks is alive and it's full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides between the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and the intent of the heart. And so the intent of our time tonight is further equipping us in being able to serve. We've been teaching on that over the last several times that I've taught and recognizing that I'm not there yet, but we're learning and we're learning together. Paul says, not that I've already attained, but this I do, I press on to the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. It's a high calling to be sons and daughters. It's even a greater calling to be able to give away what you have. But you can't give away what you don't have. So first of all, we gotta be a receiver. Receiver of the Father's heart, the Father's love and his, and his grace. So my plan was to begin to teach somewhat on the gifts of the Spirit and how to be able to move in that. And then the Lord quickened to my heart that it takes faith to do that. You know, we can, we can learn a lot of information and look at the gifts, which are very tangible and very real, and they are for today. But to be able to operate in that, and that's why I've titled this Faith Working by Love or Through Love. It comes out of Galatians 5, verse 6. So the, the understanding of the love of God, the imperativeness of this, and, you know, I grew up with John 3.16. You know, I quoted that when I could barely talk. But to understand the immensity of his love and the capacity to be able to receive that love, that's another thing altogether. And so we're going to look at a number of passages of Scripture tonight to be able to enlarge our capacity. Because recognizing the gifts of the Spirit are not for us, they're for others, for the common good. They're not our gifts. It's the Spirit of God that gives severally to each one just as he wills. And there's an understanding of learning that faith is required in all of that. <clears throat> Hebrews 11.1 1 says, um, now faith is the substance or the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's the not seen part that we have a problem with. And so he's learning, to, teaching us how to be able to walk by the Spirit, how to be able to step into these things and to be able to function together. So, Love is not just a feeling or emotion. Love is a person. His name is Jesus. It's also the Father. It's also the power of the Holy Spirit. And so love as a person is our foundation of truth and the basis for faith. Jesus is the author and finisher of faith. You know, I love the one in Hebrews 12, 2, and Amplified says, looking away from all that would distract to Jesus, who's author and the finisher of your faith. And it's taken me a long time to be able to do that first, not after we crash and burn a time or two, leaning to our own understanding. But that's a process that he's instructing us in. So we're going to see love as a noun and as a verb. The noun is love is identified as a person. The verb is love in action, taken by the person of love. So we're going to consider a number of things in different passages of this. And so, if you have your Bibles, turn over to 1 John chapter 4. My markers are falling out. <clears throat> so, in, in 1 John 4, from verses 7 to 21, love, loved, loves and loving is used 27 times. 46 times altogether in the book of 1 John. So it might be a good place to take some reference on what love is all about. And before we get to John 4, back up one page, at least it is in my Bible, to chapter 3. We're going to set the stage with this of where John says this, he said, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. Now the Amplified Bible there says, see what an incredible quality of love the Father has bestowed upon us. 
that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it does not know him. <clears throat> Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. There's a purifying work that comes by the word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. It gives us insight and understanding how to conduct ourselves in the world. In chapter 2, John says, don't love the world or the things of the world because they're not from the Father. Then he enumerates them, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the boastful pride of life. And these are things that are being worked into us. And Jake and I were talking earlier about how we need to repeat the basics on a continuum because we have a propensity to lean to our own understanding and try to figure things out, males particularly. We fix things, we bring solutions, that's what we do. But some of the time, we need some help, and that's why he's given us a helper in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at that a little bit more. But the purification is the blood work of Jesus Christ, the things we sang about just a little bit ago. But remember our title is Faith Working By or Through Love. That little preposition, by or through, can be read over pretty easily. I certainly did, over a long time frame. <clears throat> that scripture has been in, in my life at least 40 years. I so remember that faith working by love, and we use that, and, and, but generally the focus is on the faith. I suggest you that we put the faith, or the, yeah, put the faith on the love part and being able to understand that he is our source. So here's a couple of, the word is dia. There, it means account, because of, on account of, or by reason of. And here's some examples. In Ephesians 2 verse 8, it says, for by grace or because of grace, you have been saved through or by reason of faith. Hebrews 4, or excuse me, Ephesians 4, 16, <clears throat> from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by or on account of what every joint supplies. That's a huge one. I taught on that scripture the last time. Every one of you, if you know Jesus, you have something to bring that's valuable to the other part of the body. Now, the joint there can also be translated tendon. I've got a couple of tendon issues in my body. See this one little crooked finger here? There's some tendons in there that are not doing what they're supposed to do. I've got one on the other hand to match. So I found out, as a, just a little study in this, I've got like 5,000 tendons within my body, holding things together, bringing things into alignment. Every one of you are tendons somewhere along the line. And you are necessary. I cannot overemphasize the importance that you are. But sometimes we look at the people up front and think those are the important ones. Well, they are to some degree, but not any important than any of you. See, there's level ground at the foot of the cross. There's an establishment. Every one of you are being equipped with the blood work of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And you need to bring your part. Peter says, we become partakers of divine nature. I like the word partakers. Comes apart at a time, but you've got to take your part. Now, sometimes, well, I don't like my part. I think I would like to have Jake's part. No, I changed my mind. <laughs> because that's not going to work, see. But together with Rick, it, it takes three of us to make one good pastor. We've said that. We, matter of fact, we just sat on the front row and mentioned that to each other the other night. We so desperately need each other, learning to walk together, learning to function together, to be able to bring our part, wrestle through things together, walk in the light together. These are imperatives. We've treated them like options, people. They are not options. We're called to function. I'm a function guy. Okay. Galatians 5, verse 6, what we used there, but faith working through or on account of love, not law. 
The whole book of Galatians is written in that dimension as undermined the area of trying to figure things out and leading to their own understanding. The Judaizers say you've got to be circumcised. Paul says if you want to be circumcised, you've fallen from grace. And God, Jesus promises, provides nothing for you. Dangerous place. So, but our propensity in our flesh is to bring some dimension of works that overrides grace. And that's what he wants to teach us, how to be able to walk by the Spirit so we don't fulfill the desire of the flesh to lean to our own understanding. There's another one here. This is Ephesians 3.16, part of it. Strengthened with power through his Spirit. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And Jesus said, you know, apart from me, you can do nothing. And we've gloriously proved that. So he's drawing us in, why don't you come here? Let me teach you. And I've had him say this to more times than I care to admit. You know, when you did it the last time, it didn't work out well, did it? And I said, yes, sir, it didn't. He says, now why don't we do it my way? Why don't you come and let me teach you? That's a huge word. Permit, allow to be able. And matter of fact, in our men's meeting this morning, we were talking a lot about attitude adjustments. Now, I know none of you have had to have, well, Deb maybe, have to have an <laughs> attitude adjustment from time to time. But it requires the ability to hear him. Because, you know, you can make an attitude adjustment with willpower or you can make an attitude with Holy Spirit power. There's a vast difference between the two. Because the attitude has got to come by faith. And one of the things he said to me repeatedly, he said, when I get your want to, he said, that's when the process actually begins. Up until that time, you're just blowing smoke to me. Because we can come up with all kinds of religious verbiage, etc. But you can tell what's in our hearts by watching our feet, where your feet go or don't go. So he's drawing us into that place of the reality of listening. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I think maybe some of you, as well as I have, we said, oh, Jesus, I need you too. And then you fill in the blank. And he said this to me, it isn't all that long ago. He said, why don't you ask the Holy Spirit to show you what to pray? I've been in prayer ministry for a lot of years, but that one really struck my heart because I can come up with all kinds of verbiage in that area and all kinds of requests. But the Spirit knows how to make intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That's what he's trying to teach us. It's relational. It's the intimate place with him. That's where life comes. That's why he says to Timothy, take hold of what is life indeed. It's not found in the flesh or your brain. Faith doesn't come in your brains. Faith comes in your spirit, man or woman. And that's what he's trying to enlarge in our hearts because of the love that he's poured into us. Okay, 1 John chapter 4 now. Now, I had intended to start with verse 7, because that's what I had basically put my teaching together with as, as a foundation. And then I began to, you know, you always have to back up, see the context of what's going on. And so as I'm looking through this, and the heading in my Bible talks about uh, false or lying spirits or false teachers. And there's so many things that are in the swirl, in the spirit realm right now. I thought this was a very good intro into where we're headed. So let's just read down through this for a moment. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is from God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming and now is already in the world. Probably bigger now than it was then. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak 
from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. See, this is one of the reasons, again, why the, the gifts of the Spirit are necessary and just thinking about the gift of discernment, the discerning of spirits. Are they from God or not? And the identifying areas, are they confessing Jesus Christ as Lord or are they drawing followers to themselves? And there's a bunch of false teachers going on right now. Rick taught a while back on deconstructionism where we want to take things apart and then put the scripture back together that it fits our own paradigm. That's got nothing but death attached to it. And so it's an area of sorting these things out. And I just want to tell you, when something doesn't feel good inside, don't just blow it off and try to make it work. I just remember a situation a lot of years ago in another church. There was a, a person that we were dealing with and I never could make it fit. I heard the words, he was using scripture and et cetera, but I could not fit it in my heart. And one of the older shepherds said, you know, I hear your words, but they do not have a ring in my heart. That opened up something to me because the word of God and the witness of the spirit is what it's imperative to be able to judge whether these things are from God or not. And it was a whole mess that needed to be uncovered. But it sounded good, even looked good on the outside, but it wasn't good. So I'm telling you, when, when things don't fit on the inside in there, bring it before the Lord. Open it up to him. Talk out loud to him about this. Ask him to explain to you, what's going on here? This doesn't feel right. And so then you begin, is it scriptural? Is it, and some of this was scriptural, but it still didn't have the witness of the Spirit because it wasn't of the spirit. There was another spirit. It was false teaching. And it's very dangerous, and it's all over the place right now. Okay, that's for free. It wasn't in the notes at all. Verse seven, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. There's another prep. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Now, Kenneth Wiest, I've got this written in my Bible, love is out of God as a source. He doesn't just do love, he is love. How does that work? I don't know. I just know it does because the word says, and I, I know his love. See, once you have personal understanding of what it means to be loved by the living God, it's an understandable dimension. Can you explain it? Not very well, but you can experience it. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that too. The word know is <clears throat> such a powerful word. And it, it denotes personal experience. And most of you have heard me quote this scripture a number of times that I use at communion often. That you may really practically through experience for yourself come to know the love of God which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience. That you become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself unto all the fullness of God. We're just talking again today about fullness. What's fullness? It's unlimited. It is huge. In John 1 verse 16, it says, out of his fullness we've all received even grace upon grace or grace for grace. We use that one a lot as well. But fullness is, there's the immensity, the availability of this is absolutely unlimited. But I think in order to be able to function in some dimension of the fullness of God, it requires us to do it together. Because everybody's got a part in this. And then we begin to, it's almost like putting a puzzle together. I'm working on this piece and then Doug comes along and turns that piece a little bit and goes, click. Now, how come I didn't see that? Because I needed Doug. And I really believe that we begin to share some of these things together. It begins to be unfolding. In Psalm 119, verse 130, it says, the entrance or the unfolding, I like that one the best, of his word brings light. We're sitting in darkness. We've talked about this often. The Lord said, see darkness as an entity. It's a spirit. It's heaviness. So false teachers are about, there, there, there's darkness there. Well, the antidote 
to darkness is turn the lights on. See, there is a light that illumines every man. And the darkness does not comprehend or overcome the darkness. Darkness is at your hand all the time. And you young people particularly, you call darkness in your hand right now and how you use that device will bring light or darkness to you forthwith. And so learning to process, test these things together, is this God or is it not? Is this leading me to him or leading away from him? Is it undermining faith? Or is it just bringing darkness? See, we have an enemy. We're in some dimension of spiritual warfare all the time. Being aware of that is incredibly important. But I tell you what, going to war by yourself is just dumb. And there's a bunch of people been trying to do it on their own. They haven't, they've been leaning to their own understanding. They haven't been willing to ask for help. One of them. But I've learned the hard way. I desperately need help. My wife is one of those that prompts me from time to time if I'm grumbling. She said, more times than I care to admit as well, have you prayed about that yet? I said, no, but I think I will now. There's those promptings, you know, that come in. Or she'll say, now if someone else came with that question or that issue, what would you say to them? Woman, I don't want to hear that right now. I'm grumbling. Don't bother me. Now I know none of you have done that, but then in case you do. Janensko is such a, a powerful word, and I think this is one of the things he calls us to. So love is a noun. We've talked about that. It brings affection and goodwill. Love of God toward men and love of God for Jesus. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And in John 17, you know, Jesus has given the boys a couple of different prayers. And, you know, in, in Luke 11, he, they said, well, why don't you teach us to pray? We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. And we've called it the Lord's Prayer. I call it the Disciples' Prayer. John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. And then I'm not going to go into all of that tonight, but in verse 20, it says, I don't pray for these only, but also for those that will believe because of their word. And then he speaks those things. Those are by extension directly to us as well. And then verse 26 says, and I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. There's something of the imparting of the love and the mercy of God in and through the person of Jesus is just bigger than you can say. So I may not convince you of the Father's love and Jesus' love for you, but I hope to whet your appetite for all that's available to be received. I just generally use this every time I preach is I'm giving you a Costco taste. I hope to stir your wagon to go down and figure out where this is because there's a whole lot more that's available to be received and to lay hold of. So, <clears throat> um, verse nine. Um, well, we better pick up verse eight for a second here. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. There's our, our noun again. By this, the love of God was manifest in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. There's our dia, again, our, our preposition that's so incredibly important. Verse 10, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Propitiation is a big 
fancy word. It simply means satisfaction, complete satisfaction, complete cleansing for our sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Now there's sometimes oughts and shoulds can be kind of religious from time to time and, and bring us back into legalism. But there is a response that comes out of that area that's also incredibly profound. The word ought there is to be under obligation by duty or necessity, being subject to one another. Now in Matthew 18, Jesus tells the, the story of the fellow that had been forgiven the insurmountable debt, and yet he went out and had his fellow servant by the throat for 20 bucks. That was not a good ride for the boy. And so these are things, the obligation is to be able to give it away. One of the principles of the kingdom is if you want to keep any of it, you have to give it away. If you try to stockpile it, it goes like the manna. The manna just, you couldn't stockpile it. It just went bad. And I think we become introspective and it's all about us. It's a selfishness. And that was part of the, the um, attitude adjustment we were talking about this morning. And in Philippians, it says, have this attitude in you that was also in Christ Jesus. A little bit before that, it says, don't look out just for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Helping someone else find their portion and being able to step into that which God has put in our lives is huge. Verse 12, no one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The word abides there is meno. It means to stay and continue to be present over a long time. It's make a permanent relationship. And that's what Jesus said. And we're going to look at this in just a moment in, in John 14. He said, the Father and I will come and make our abode with you. How does that work? Well, it's got to work by the power of the Spirit of God. That's what he's teaching us. Verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Now if you look across the page or at least in chapter 3 verse 24, he says almost the same thing. John's a good teacher also because he repeats. And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And we know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given to us. So you can keep your finger there. We'll be back. But go over to John chapter 14. And we're going to look what Jesus has to say to the boys about the power of his Spirit. Over in chapter 16, he says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the Spirit comes, the Spirit of truth comes, he will lead and guide you into all the truth and he will remind you again of all the things that I've said to you. So it's quite an imperative for us to uh, have an understanding of, yeah, it's an imperative to have in interaction with the Holy Spirit of the living God. You know, when you buy a new vehicle, there's a window sticker on it. And somewhere on that sticker, all the options are listed. A steering wheel is not an option. The Holy Spirit is the one that directs us and leads and guides us into the truth. Truth is an imperative. In our culture, there are no absolutes. And that's the thing that's undermined our, the, our culture in this season. Well, this is your truth, but this is my truth. Well, what's it based on? What I want, what I feel, what I think. Well, I'm sorry, truth is a person. His name is Jesus. And he's been leading and guiding for an awfully long time. But when the absolutes are removed, our foundation has been breached. And it's been breached big time. Isaiah 58, it says, and you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. And I believe that that's what the Lord is up to right now. The things where our thinking has been breached and it's been exalted us over our spirit and over the power of the spirit and over the word of God. And it's stolen from us our ability 
to buy the truth and don't sell it. See, when we're trying to be pleasing to, to men and our own flesh, that's when compromise starts. We end up with mixture. God hates mixture. And it dilutes the thing. And then we have these questions. See, if this started in the garden, people, has God really said? And off we go. Now, Eve was deceived. Adam was just dumb. Now, if he hadn't, we would have. But that whole area of understanding, and he wasn't testing the things because God gave them one rule. How hard is it to obey one rule? But when we are deceived and we're undermined, we begin to question these things, and we begin to dance around the thing as opposed to buy the truth and own the truth and obey the truth. That's where the life comes. This is for free also, and I've used this about four times today. This is Isaiah 33, 6. He, Yahweh, will be stability in your times, a wealth of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge, and the fear of the Lord is his treasure. I guarantee you the thing that's missing in our nation right now is the fear of the Lord. I'll tell you what, the hand of the Lord we talked earlier today about the hand of the Lord being heavy. And it needs to be. I've had the heavy hand of the Lord on me when I was off the trail. And it is something you don't want to resist, you want to embrace. Because then he redirects your life back to him again. You look away. It's what repentance is. You look away from someone, something to someone. That's what breaks the power of sin in our life. It's the only thing that does. Well, this is what makes some feeble excuse for why we're doing what we know is wrong intuitively. I'll give you an example. I've used this a time or two, but it bears repeating. This missionary led a bunch of cannibals to the Lord. And he said, when you guys were eating one another, did you know that was wrong? That's what they said. We knew it was wrong all the time. See, God has put his spirit. We're made in his image. We are spirit beings. We have a soul and we live in a body. Earth suit. Temporary earth suit, thank God. But these are things, you see, that when we begin to compromise the truth, your whole foundation continues to be breached. And he's drawing us into that place again that he is the one with truth and his power of his love by faith then establishes a place where we can conduct life under the tutelage of the Spirit of God rather than the flesh. You found John 14 yet? Because that's where we're going. I love, I just would recommend to you John 14, 15, 16, and 17. Some of the most important things that Jesus talked to the boys about and by extension to us. So, here's your Costco taste. Starting with verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Now, the word another there is alos. It's one equal to me, just like me. The spirit of truth. We'll talk about that in a moment. Another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. There's three prepositions again that we use in talking about the Holy Spirit. It's with and upon. He is with you before you get saved, comes in you when you're born again, and comes upon you with power to carry out his instruction and the gift and the calling that's on your life. Verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Now the all things, I've got that thing circled. It's hard to see the all in there because it's just been so incredibly profound to me. So whatever you're involved with in any kind of a situation, I'm talking about marketplace stuff, where you work, where you go to school, or what you're involved with, he knows more about it than you do. And if you ask him, he will tell you. 
So we quote this scripture a lot from Jeremiah 29 where uh, the prophet says, uh, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you an affectionate hope. This is the way he said it to me. I know the plans that I have for you and I'll tell those to you if you'll ask me. The asking for this is an imperative. In Luke 11, uh, the boys asked uh, Jesus to teach him to pray. We talked about that a little bit. Verse 13, if, if you mark any verse down tonight, you mark this down, where Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And he's talking in there about asking and asking repeatedly. And I think a lot of the times it isn't we're trying to shake God down to get him to do something as far as the power of the Spirit is concerned. I got to get my flesh out of the way. So I'm asking in faith. It says because of his persistence, he will give him whatever he needs. So even the infilling of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time event. It's a continuum. My wife's got a term for this. She says we leak. We need to be refilled again and empowered in that area. Because our God is relationship. It isn't like you get it all once and then I'm good to go now. I don't need him anymore. And a lot of times we think like that. Rather than leaning to his understanding, we lean to our own. And we go back into the works dimension of this. We go into performance or behavior modification. You know, you fill in the blank, whatever that is. He says, no, no, why don't you come here? This isn't in the notes either, but you're going to get it anyhow. This is out of Matthew 11. Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and you reveal them to babes. A little further on, he says, once you come to me, we talk about this often, come as you are, not as you ought to be. Don't try to clean your act up first. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. That means come be joined to him. Then he says this, learn from me. This is a key area of having to learn on a continuum about everything. And then he says, I'll give you rest. But he says, learn from me because I'm gentle and humble of heart and you will find rest for your soul. For us as males particularly, there's a humbling thing that comes, I don't, I don't know how to do this, but I'll figure it out. Then I've heard him say, well, how's that working for you? You want to talk about it now? Are you done yet? He's not seeking information when he asks those questions. See, that's for my benefit because I need to be done. I need to come into a place where I really don't know. And one of my continual prayers has been, Lord, I do not have a clue. Would you teach me? And one of my favorite verses to go right with that is Isaiah 54, 13. It says, and all your sons will be taught of the Lord and great will be the peace of your sons. So I've learned the hard way if peace is missing, then the government of Jesus is missing in that part of my life. And so I need to surrender that and open that up and say, here I am, I'm a mess right now. Would you teach me? He said, good, glad you asked. How much would you like? Unlimited supply, fullness. And we're just staying with that on a continuum. That's why every time I preach, somewhere along the line, you're going to get this because this is vital. It's relational intimacy with the living God by his doing, not ours. It's not because we love him. It's because he loved us. He's the one that produces faith. He produces his love in us. And something has changed and transformed at the core of our being. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Said we're going to look at a number of things, but the workings of, of the power of the Spirit, you know, are they're a mystery without the Spirit Himself teaching us and having to learn and relearn. One of these days, I'm going to need to do a, a study on this. I think I'll drag Jake in this with me about the word things. How many times? I have many more things to say to you. Just all these things. 
Well, that's what we're into here, the, the things. Verse nine, just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, but which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for them that love him. See, that's a little bit of fullness. What eye hasn't seen or ear heard or entered into the heart of man, it's all there and available. So let's see how this works. For to us, God has revealed them through, there's our preposition again, through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. So love that song, you know. I, I looked on the schedule and saw that song was on there. I thought, ooh, you nailed it, girl. How deep the Father's love for us. I don't have a clue how deep that is. But it's more than I can understand because the logic of man cannot comprehend the things of the Spirit of God. We'll look at this in just a minute. For who among men knows the thoughts of the man except the spirit of the man? Not the soul of the man, but the spirit of the man, which is in him. Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. For we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, the source, okay, that's what we talked about earlier, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. Which things, there's our word again, we, have, we also speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. It's spiritual with spiritual, the thoughts and words there in italics. So the, the, the understanding of the power of the Spirit is just, I cannot even say it big enough, how incredibly important that is. So look at verse 14. But a natural man, or a soul man, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. There's our things again. For they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. The Amplified says that he's incapable of knowing them. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So the ability for the soul to come into submission to the spirit is a requirement in that area. We've been trained, every one of us been trained in your soul, man or woman, for however many years old you are. As far as being trained in our spirit, uh, not so much. But that's what we are being instructed in, how to be able to hear by the Spirit. My sheep hear my voice. Now, I've never heard Jesus speak to me audibly. I have a pastor friend that did. And he told him who, very specifically who he's, he was to marry when he was dwaddling. And I know Karen was very happy when he heard and obeyed the Spirit of God. So it isn't necessary to hear him, but I've heard him so clearly it was as loud as if he had spoken to me audibly. And that's what he's training us in. But I don't care how well you hear, there are times you just flat miss it. I certainly have. And then he, that's what, sometimes he speaks in a still small voice and it goes by so quickly you just miss it altogether. And then he's calling us back into that. I, and I've said this to him countless times. Would you say that to me again? And sometimes he speaks immediately in that area and sometimes not for a bit. As I've learned also that God speaks when he wants to. Sometimes he speaks immediately and sometimes I'll have totally forgotten. I've even asked the question. And then all of a sudden it just drops in. I like those particularly because I'm not trying to figure it out with my soul man, that which I'm not even capable of understanding. But he's drawing us into that dimension of asking, keeping on asking, and all that he's made available to us to be able to walk in that in, in fullness. Just one more thing on that thing in Luke 11. Um, it's, 
He says, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask you? It's the much more. To elevate better over good to a greater degree, very, very much more. There's a huge availability in these things that I cannot overemphasize. And James says, you have not because you ask not or you ask amiss. Neither one of them is any good. But I think we ask as childlike. See, you know, this is interesting. Children, when you give them a gift, they never stick it up on a shelf and say, well, maybe later. You know, children just don't do that. You know, they rip it open or they will say, what else you got? They're, they're always looking for more, see. See, it's, it's a point well taken. Because Jesus told the boy, see, they're trying to figure out which one of them is the greatest. They're always jockeying for position. He says, except you become like a little child, you can't even enter the kingdom, boys. So this area requires a humility to open what he's been given. What you have been given, value that. Ask him to explain, teach me how to use it. What is this? And particularly if you're having trouble hearing his voice. Number one, he speaks to out of his word. He, the, when the Spirit of God speaks, he never contradicts his word. You can always verify it by the written word of God and establishing something that he's speaking to you. But there's other things too. And I've heard him say things like, uh, Les, mm -mm, not that way. Come here, don't, don't go down that trail. Particularly if, and see, I haven't even said a word. But whatever you're thinking, he knows it all together. Remember Rick just taught us about that? Everything is naked and open before the eyes of him without whom we have to do. He'll catch me smooth in the middle of headed down some grumble path or whatever. I, 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 come here. Let's not go that way. Sometimes that voice is so small, I can override it. And then he said, if I'm not doing something, he said, don't do that. He said, you'll just make a mess. We'll have to clean up later. So relationship with the living God, if you don't get anything else of what I say tonight, he loves you. He wants to have relationship with you. And there's an unlimited supply of him, not just what he does. Too often we got too focused on God to do something for us rather than get him. There's a reward for diligence, and it's him. Now, back to 1 John. Hope you brought a lunch, because we're going to be a while. Actually not. Given us of his spirit. And we have seen, verse 14, and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And whoever confesses Jesus is the Son of God. God abides in him and he in God. Verse 16, I want to land here. And we have come to know, Genosco here again, and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. The coming to know that your love is huge. The first time I was introduced to my wife, I was pretty checked out. Hmm. Interesting. I like this woman. And then a little further on with a number of circumstances, uh, I thought, I'd like to ask her out. But Chicken Boy came up with a number of, well, she'll just blow you off anyway, you know. This put together woman, she would go with you? I don't think so. And so I... I monkeyed around with that for a while. And even as I was thinking about this story, um, I think it was the Holy Spirit. And I didn't know the Spirit of God in that time frame. But I believe now that he was saying, 
you're going to need this woman. You better get after this. So then my lightning fast mind, I think, well, where she could say is no. But she didn't. It wouldn't have been more surprised on the planet than I was at that point in time. Well, then as, as we progressed along, we, we dated for a while. But there was this competition with this other fellow. I did not like competition. And so I, I finally got to the point, I said, I need to know, you know, either it's going to be him or me, you know, what's the deal with this? I cannot tell you when, when and she was up leading a meeting and, and she mouthed this to me, I want you. I cannot tell you what that did in my heart. But I was listening to John Corson a while back and he was using that as an example about when, some, when you know that someone loves you and they're not just giving you verbiage in that area. I cannot tell you what that did in my heart. That's like 64 years ago. We've been, we'll be married 62 years. Now this, is, and a lot of you ladies know, I've heard Donna's testimony, this was not a pleasant ride because stupid boy did a lot of dumb things along the way. But we've kind of put some of that together. But she's been Jesus with skin on to me and has spoken into my life and we've walked out a lot of difficult things together because of relational love that's been empowered by the Spirit of God that both of us had received. And we didn't grow up with that, but the Spirit of God was gracious to us and taught us how to walk by the Spirit. And so that's why that, that word is such an important that we have come to know and have believed the love that he has for us. Now you can believe with your brain, which I did for a long time, but when you know in your spirit because faith came, because love himself ministered faith to us to believe and trust him in that area. One of the key verses that the word believe comes from is John 1 and 12. And that was one of my first insights into the word of God. But to as many as received him, to them he gave power to become children of God, even to them that believe on his name. Mental assent is not faith, people. It's something that's supernatural, that's been given by the living God, how to be able to take hold of what is life indeed. Then the new life comes, the new way of living, the new way of functioning. And it, it translates into every dimension of your life. But if that isn't solid within us, then we haven't got it. I think I got time for one more story. Some of you are old enough to remember cassette tapes. You know, I got an awful lot of teaching early on on cassette tapes. Wore some of them out. I got one set of Bible tapes that I got in 1976 and they still work. You know, a lot of CDs and, and that kind of stuff, you know, don't last like those old tapes did. So I'm in, on vacation in eastern Washington and I'm listening to uh, a, a fellow teach. Go in the book of Ephesians for a minute. You know I would end up there somewhere. I love Ephesians and this is one of the reasons why. Ephesians chapter 2. And this particular teacher was teaching uh, using King James Bible. And I love King James Bible. But the these and the thous get me twisted up from time to time. We don't talk that way, you know. But a number of years ago, the Lord said, I want you to go back in your King James Bible. I want to teach you some things. There's some incredibly powerful words in So anyhow, he's reading in chapter 2. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Man, I was one of those. Among them, we too, notice he includes himself, all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even of the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love toward us, 
Now, he's reading along into that in, in verse 4. And I'm looking in my Amplified, and it says, in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which he loved us. And something by the Spirit of God hit my spirit. I just clicked the recorder off, and I just began to weep because I had a revelation of the love of God at that point in time. Wonderful, great, and wonderful, and intense love. Intense enough to crush Jesus to get us. I mean, it is just, it's beyond scope. Now, I just pray that every one of us have some dimension of a revelation of the love of God for you personally. It's easy to look at these things generically or discount ourselves from it in some dimension and miss what he has for us. The love call is always the same. Come now, come as you are, not as you ought to be. Bring your stuff. And then he empowers. And then we have what we have, what I call divine exchange. He gets my rubbish and I get his grace. It's not fair. That's the way he is. He knows how to dispose of my rubbish. I don't. Behavior modification will not change it. But his grace changes everything. Now you're in the book of Ephesians. Might as well get another one. Chapter 1, verse 6. None of this is in the notes, so this is all freebie. So if you got to go, then you do. Verse 6 is, To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed us in the beloved. Now, my friend Duke and I are down on City Beach. Uh, I had not all that long ago been fired from the pastor position I was at for something I didn't do. I wasn't feeling very good because I was back in the dealership again. It was not a pleasant event for me. And my friend Duke had also been discharged from a place not his doing. So we're commiserating together a bit. But we at least had the sense to understand and do a study together on the Father heart of God. And we're smooth in the middle of this thing. And then this is what it says in the, in the King James, in the last part of this, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. I cannot tell you what that did to me at that point in time. That I was accepted by him, by his grace, by his doing, not my behavior or even the failure or perceived failure in that dimension. I wasn't even acceptable to me. And these are the things, there's, there's a, a number of you that are here tonight that have been wounded and some of you have been wounded in the church house. I apologize for that. But these are things that our God wants to rectify and to be able to set back in order again and be at peace with that. And I'm going to pray for us in a moment here, but these are the things that the Father heart of God has in store for us and the availability of this for wounding. Because a lot of us have taken some of these things and said it was okay when it's not. You've rammed it in your guts and come out with some sideways behavior from time to time that's unrelated to whatever's going down in your life. Isaiah says it this way. He says, there's no soundness from the crown of the head to the sole of the foot because the wound has not been pressed out nor anointed with oil. There needs to be closure. That only comes with a divine interaction with the Holy Spirit of the living God. I say, no, let's, let me have that. I'm grumpy yet. Not ready to do that. This is where we have to humble ourselves under his hand and come into a place where we're willing to be loved and to be cared for so the wound can be pressed out. You know, when you have a wound that's been unattended to for a long time, we have what we call proud flesh. Interesting name. It's got to be lanced. You've got to press that thing. That's exactly what Isaiah is talking about. He's calling us into the place of processing some of these things that need to be addressed with love and mercy and grace, not law, 
not behavior modification, with truth. Truth is a person. He wants to restore and set in order things in our lives that have been left unattended over a long time frame. See, the other part of that, some of us have left churches or relationships in order to get away from the pain. The problem is you bring it with you. It's in the back seat when you get there. And it's got to be addressed. And I really believe the Lord is calling us into a season to be able to process with him by his love that produces faith that actually works in the real world. And we're able to forgive. See, Mark eleven twenty five 25 says, whenever you stand praying, forgive, leave it, let it go, let it drop. For if you from your heart do not forgive those who trespass against you, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespass of holding unforgiveness. Matthew 18, you know, that was not a good ride for that boy. He turned over to the torturers. So as we draw this to a conclusion tonight, things, some of this you need to be do personally with the Lord. Others, things you're going to need help with. You need to walk in the light with someone. John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. Sometimes it's my sin and sometimes it's another person's sin. Romans 6 says, sin shall not have dominion over you any longer. It's a governmental term in the spirit realm. And obviously, the, the initial context of that is our own sin. But I tell you what, some of you have been sinned against. And those things need to be broken. Sometimes it has to be unilateral, or it only comes from one person. You have to be able to do it from your side because nobody else is willing to hear anything. I've had a number of those. But when you, from your heart, see, this is requires his love to come in my heart. I need to love that person. I don't even like them at that point in time. And I'm not ready to do that. So don't make the mistake of producing the verbiage for the thing when it has not come in your heart. Paul says, I have believed, therefore have I spoken. When he speaks, faith comes. He always provides faith to carry out whatever his instruction is in that area. Leaning to your own understanding is, is useless. It only makes it worse. And I have learned the hard way that when you speak to a person who has a hardened heart prematurely, you haven't spent the time in intercession and the Lord's opened the door and that it only increases the hardness of heart. You've got to wait for this. It's laboring. Paul says, I'm in travail. I'm in birthing labor until Christ be formed in you so that we may present every man complete in Christ. And it's worth paying the price. Unwillingness to forgive is like drinking poison and hoping the other person will die. I mean, it's just dumb. But it's got incredible power when it's released and you authentically are able to forgive. There's healing, there's restoration, and there's recovery. And I know from personal experience, some of the times when you're able to wrestle through over a long time frame, they become some of your dearest friends. You win the right and you defeat the enemy. So there. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, thank you for loving us enough to die for us. That you've given us your spirit. You've given us your word. And you've given us the ability to carry out your instruction in detail. Lord, we were talking about this today. Partial obedience isn't obedience. Would you give us the ability, Lord, to obey you and to be able to love you? If you love me, you will obey my commandments. He says, I'll give you a helper. So I pray, Father, for all of us that have any situation that we have not dealt with, that we have ignored or that we've just put up with and said it was okay, but we've never had the wound addressed. You came to heal the brokenhearted and to bind up all their wounds. 
to open the door of the prison house of those that are bound and let the oppressed go free. And the dominion of sin would be broken by the power of Jesus Christ. And I plead your blood over this entire fellowship, those that are here and those that belong here, Lord, as part of this, that this would be a season to undermine the workings of the enemy, that the breach in whatever dimension it is could be closed, and that we would be called repairers of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Would you give us grace, Lord, to walk by faith and not by sight? In Jesus' name.